Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 151. This is Dave. This is Rico Rice. There you go. Wow. And Barry is not with us this week. He's actually out going and visiting the uh, Francis Ford Coppola Vineyard, amongst other places. I think he was going to like try to find him so he could do the Wayne's World We're Not Worthy thing. I was actually at a wine tasting recently, and they had some of his wine. How was it? It was... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Most of the wine just tasted exactly the same to me. You're not much of a wine guy. Well, it depends. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not the biggest wine guy myself. I go more for the more for the uh, desserty type stuff. But it's all good. Hopefully, he's having a good time. He should be back next week. Um, this week, we are talking about the films of David Gordon Green. This should be a very interesting episode, especially because it does relate to last week's episode of Terrence Malick. Uh, before we get into that, what have you been watching this last week, sir? Well, uh, we have a good way to start off. I watched Tony Scott's The Fan. Nice. Have you, have you ever seen this? I have seen The Fan. I like The Fan. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just like, it's so ridiculous. I couldn't help but just get into it. Like, I know it got like critically panned and it made no money, but I think people just didn't get it. Like, it's intentionally ridiculous. Like, I, I love like just Tony Scott, the things he does with like music and sound in it. Like how whenever like De Niro's like super like cheery and stuff, he's always playing the Rolling Stones. Then when he goes crazy, it's like Nine Inch Nails and like he's like just killing people to like a remix of Closer and like he's doing things <laughs> with like color filters. It's awesome. <laughs> it is a fun film. As dark and, as it uh, is, I think Aaron, it's fun. Yeah, and uh, it's awesome when uh, Aaron Neville <laughs> sings the national anthem. <laughs> That's good. That's good for a laugh, no matter what. Just hearing Aaron Neville. Yeah, no, actually, sing. like I said, the best scene in the movie is when um, he's first kind of starting to freak out, and he sees this like uh, bug on his wall in his apartment, and he like throws a knife at it, and then like the nine inch nail starts playing, and like you cut outside the apartment, and like this Hasidic Jew is walking by with a dog. <laughs> he's just like, "What?" And it's it is so it is so awesome. It is a unique. Movie, uh, yes. Uh, next, I watched Roberto Rossellini's um, Rome, Open City. It's a classic Italian neorealist film about the occupation of Rome during World War II. And basically, it's kind of an ensemble piece about how these people choose to face it. And it's not very upbeat, but I found it very moving at the same time. It's a cool film. Right on. Uh, next, I, I watched uh, Lars von Trier's Europa for the first time. Another World War II film. Uh, interestingly, dealing with Nazis. Wow. Because nothing else was happening in the world during World War II. Yeah, but, you know, Lars von Trier, Nazis. I can Nazis. only imagine the, the places that film goes. Anyway, but it's it's sort of more <laughs> of like a science fiction scene in a way. It's, it's this uh, man, he's hired to like work on a railway. Ra- ra- I say railway? Yeah. Did I say railway? You did, but it's I okay. said Railway, my bad, <laughs> during uh, after the end of World War II in uh, Germany. And basically, it, things happen. It's filmed in black and white, but occasionally you just uses color. And like uh, Max von Sydow does like, this narration at the beginning and throughout other parts of the movie. He's like, on the count of ten, you will be in Europa. On nine, you will start feeling numb. On eight, your hands will be weightless and stuff. It's awesome, and I can't. A lot of it is pretty indecipherable, but it's it is just so interesting, visually interesting, and and the story is really cool too. Right um, next, I watched Ang Lee's Ride with the Devil. 
also on Criterion. I love uh, that movie. Yeah, it's very good. I think the thing about it, it it's way more contemplative than most war movies. Yes. And uh, and uh, it's the thing is too I liked about it was actually it was kind of like a western at times. Mm-hmm. Like how uh, the beginning, like the opening, like ten minutes or so, it's like you know all these people. It's like this kind of you think it's gonna be this stuffy period piece. It's like cut a year later, and they're f- freaking. They've got like long hair and guns, and they're firing. It's like yeah, but yeah, it's it's very good. I again, I found it so much more intelligent. Like compared to something like Glory, which is so patronizing, and this, which I think uh, deals with well the black character played by Jeffrey Wright in such an intelligent way. Yes. I, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, it doesn't play as broadly as uh, as Glory does. Yeah. Uh, next, I watched uh, Paul Schrader's Hardcore, starring George C. Scott. You ever heard of this? I have not. That's an interesting combination, though. Yeah, uh, it stars uh, George C. Scott as this religious man, not deeply religious, but religious, who lives in like uh, Michigan. And it's Christmas time at the beginning, and uh, his daughter is going away on a trip, his teenage daughter. And eventually she goes missing, and he, he hires a private, uh, a private investigator, played by Peter Boyle, to track her down. And uh, the private investigator says, well, you got to come and see this. And he sits him down in a theater and shows him a film, which is a hardcore pornography film with his daughter in it. And he's like, oh, my God, is that my daughter? I I can't quite, you know, match the George C. Scott, but isms of it. But, you know, well, he infiltrates the uh, pornography business to find her. It's sort of like the searchers in a way. But again in the pornography business and uh yeah there's there's a lot of good uh george c scott moments in it and uh it's uh it's i think paul schrader does a great job in this movie of just making like things that should be sexy like just so unsexy so props to him for that and it's interesting how this movie came out in 1979 and there's like it's like there's this presence of star wars throughout the movie it's really weird but like There's a scene where he goes in his daughter's room and she has a Star Wars calendar. And this other scene where he's walking in L.A. and there's a Star Wars billboard. And there's a scene where he goes in a strip club and two of the dancers are having a fight with uh, two toy lightsabers. So (laughs) I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Next, I watched uh, Lynn Ramsey's Ratcatcher for the first time. I've heard Uh, about this film. Yeah, it's actually kind of similar to George Washington, which we'll be talking about in this episode later. But... uh, it's set in Scotland, and it's about this like in the 1970s, I believe, and it's about this young boy who witnesses the death of it, one of his friends, and he feels and he doesn't tell anybody, and he feels very guilty about it, and then it's kind of just about the rest of the movie, just about him and his family and what's going on, and the, and there's like this garbage strike going on, and so the whole movie has this atmosphere of just being very dirty and smelly and gray. And uh, there's some pretty, it's, again, it's like sort of uh, at times it's going for like a natural, naturalism and realism, but at times it's very stylized. Like there's a scene that uses the music from Badlands where it's like this rat is on a, is on a balloon. It's, I won't spoil it further, but it's awesome. And uh, yeah, it's, I quite liked it. I thought it, it never even went to some kind of troubled childhood cliches, like the dad never hits the kid or anything. It's, I liked it a lot. Interesting. Uh, next, I watched uh, Stardust for the first time, the okay. Matthew Vaughn film. Yeah, yeah, that, that Neil thought, Gaiman wrote. 
Yeah, it's a, you know, it's I didn't love it, but I think it, the best thing I can say about it is that it had its heart in the right place. Absolutely. Like it's just kind of like a it's just kind of a cute light movie to watch with the family. It didn't like it didn't like really keep me that interested or anything, but again, it's hard it's it's a it's a harmless movie that's hard to hate, but I will say the biggest mistake in this movie Shaving Claire Dane's eyebrows was just no, 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 just no. Didn't quite work for you. No, I wonder she's supposed to be kind of this like mystical being, but just, just no, no. <laughs> it gives her one less tool to emote with. Yes. Uh, and next, just this morning, I watched uh, Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits for the first time. That's such a, a crazy movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's like an example of because uh, it's it, I don't think he he didn't write it. I believe, right? I don't think so. Yeah, and it was basically like uh, it's and it was like a summer blockbuster. It's like him like taking a summer blockbuster and grafting a style onto it successfully. And uh, the th- thing I I liked about it too is it's I found it very mean spirited, which I actually quite enjoyed about it. Like I, I won't spoil how, but it's like. A lot of people just kind of casually blow up in it and stuff, and I was like, I, I like that about it. It didn't really have a message or anything. I like actually, that. And uh, actually, it was written by yeah. Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. Oh, okay. How about that? All right. But uh, yeah, and uh, I was actually thinking of how hard, of, even though it was a summer blockbuster, I was thinking of how hard of a sell it would be. Think about it, to try and make a movie starring like little people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think Terry Gilliam was ever going to have a gigantic hit, but I'm okay with that with the quality of films he puts out. Yeah, so that was what I watched. All right. Um, I, I've spent most of my time um, getting ready and, and watching movies in re- preparation for this episode. Uh, although I have been watching Justified, I got Steph to start watching it too, and that show is quite fun. Uh, the, the Elmore Leonard influence is all over that show. It's a blast. Uh, the The one odd thing is every time we watch it, we end up both slipping into a southern accent, mostly because Steph's from the south. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of odd talking to us about a half hour after we've watched some Justified. But we're get, it's starting to get really interesting and really good in the first season, and uh, I can't wait to dig into the second season, too. Uh, then, nice. Yes. Beyond that, I did, if you follow on Facebook, you follow on Twitter, anything like that, or if you hit cha- ScreenGeeks.com, uh, you'll know that I watched Attack the Block on Wednesday. Barry and I were invited to go up to the screening, and it was a fine, fine movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, I, I should say, first of all, that I went to this movie as cold as possible. I think I watched about the first 30 seconds of the trailer, and that's been it. I just know people have liked it a lot, but I didn't get it from watching that little bit of the trailer. If you've seen the trailer and aren't a fan still go see the movie because I don't think it really is a true representation or really fair to the movie. And uh, this movie is really, it's a throwback. It's a throwback to like, you know, John Carpenter to even a little Clive Barker with Candyman, like I said in my review with the the way the urban feel was. And a a lot of Wes Craven. Um, Barry even compared it to uh, American Werewolf in London. Really all you need to know is it's a British urban alien invasion movie. And with Nick Frost as a great... He he does quite well as one of the drug dealers. He's the comic relief of the film. And he's not in it much, but he does quite a bit with what he's got. And really, the rest of the cast is nothing but unknowns, which in this case really helped because you start off seeing these hoodlums hold up a a lady who lives in the same block they do. And seeing that group evolve, 
from just a bunch of miscreants and you know hoodlums and thugs into still hoodlums a bit at the end of the movie, but they've actually cohesed, you know, cohesed together. The leader, Moses, kind of turns into a man and learns what responsibility is about. And the aliens are freaking amazing. I mm-hmm. the thing that really struck out to that stuck out to me about the aliens is that yes they're very intimidating, but they take advantage of the thing in humanity that's like if you don't understand what it is and it's coming after you you're scared. When the creatures are sitting in full view on the screen in front of you you still don't know what you're looking at because of the way they did it you see the teeth and that's it for the rest of the creature, and it really was a very effective use. I still don't know if it was CG or practical effects or a mixture thereof. But huge props to George Con- to Joe Cornish's team. Um, this is Joe Cornish's first film, and I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. If if this is what he's going on doing on his first shot out. So, yeah, yeah. So that's that's really about it. What well, I think it's supposed to come out in August, and see it as soon as possible if you possibly can. It's you aren't going to see anything else quite like it in theaters this year. That's for sure. But okay. That's, that's just about it. Um. Let's see, let's go ahead and talk about what hit in theaters this past weekend. We had The Hangover Part 2, which really, from what I hear, could not be a more appropriate title because it's the same thing the second time over. Uh, Kung, Fu, Kung Fu Panda 2, and in limited release, we do have Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Did you get to catch anything, Ethan? No. <laughs> Nothing really made you, oh, I have to go out and see that this weekend. No. Fair enough. All right. Barry was not a fan. Uh, he said it's okay. There's some really good points, but for the most part, it's just a rehash of the first movie. Even the same guy, you know, like the guy who got uh, drugged and you know, see him for like two minutes on the whole movie, he's barely in this movie too. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on to DVDs. We have got, coming out on DVD and Blu-ray this Tuesday, we have got True Blood Season 3 coming to Blu-ray and DVD. We've got a special book edition, uh, digital book edition of Once Upon a Time in the West on Blu-ray. We've got Drive Angry and Drive Angry 3D, depending on if you're getting it in Blu-ray, 3D, Blu-ray, or DVD, or all of the above. Uh, there's also a Ultimate Edition Blu-ray of Legend and Beautiful, which I won't quite put the uh, hyperbole upon you this time. Is it worth Thank seeing? You. Is it worth seeing, though? Yeah, it's, I'd say so. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. He sees dead people. That's all you need to know. Um, all right, well, heck, we're cruising through this episode, which is all good. Let's go ahead and talk about some news. Uh, I guess the big trailer prop, man, I don't know, there, there were some really good trailers this week. There sure were, Dave. <laughs> I guess we'll start off with the Cam uh, Pirate version of the Girl with the Tra- Dragon Tattoo Red Band trailer. What did you think of this? I freaking loved it. I think it gives the right tone for sure. Yeah. And you can, and they have, they give you enough of shots that if you've seen the original, you're like, I wonder if they're going to put that in the movie. I'm sure you know exactly which scene I'm talking about. And they pretty much, yeah, it's going to be there. Well, the thing is, this already again, I didn't watch the entire of the original, but this already looks like a humongous improvement on the original, and that it actually looks cinematic, and not like an episode of Law and Order Stockholm Unit. Okay, that's interesting. Like, didn't you, didn't you think the original just felt like a TV, like an episode of a TV show? I, I could see that. I can see that argument for sure. Totally. Um, yeah, well, and when you have Fincher going, of course, it's going to have a, a glorious cinematic feel to it. Exactly. And that's, and I know, like, Barry, I, I, I'm like, okay, I'm just saying this right now. When this movie comes out in Christmas, no matter how awesome it is, when we talk about Barry's, I'm like, 
Yeah, I I thought the the original was better. Just you know the the the, the good great performance by uh, Numi Rapeface or whatever her name is. Wow. I'm I will discredit him not only as a film critic but but as a a person. <laughs> now what if it is so a Barry, matter? Of- if you're listening to this, you better better like it. Okay, but, but but so so you're saying you're going on record right now saying if you don't like it, it's because you don't like remakes and you're biased against them. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just. <laughs> I, I have to give you a little crap. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop now. It's okay. It does look very impressive. Uh, it's it's way jump cutty, but I think it works very well in this trailer. The the scope absolutely does work to bring in the landscapes and, and that kind of frozen tundra look. I think a little bit better. I totally see what you're saying. And uh, I, I think all oh, the music and it's awesome too. Yes, the cover of Immigrant Song is is awesome. Well, there you go. There you I go. Uh, hope that can maybe uh, drop on iTunes or something. I'm sure you know? it will find a way. Yeah. So yep. Yeah. Uh, next trailer that came up that was really still also pretty impressive was the uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark trailer. I really liked how creepy this trailer was. This is a new one. I yeah, there's a new full length one. Uh, I didn't see it. Oh, sir. It, it is. It, it's definitely playing on the creep factor of old school movies with like people whispering in the shadows and echoing and stuff. But it's worked. It works incredibly effectively. Uh, it just looks like it's going to be a solid, creepy ass movie. Just to put it out there, it's going to be. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty scary. But I can't wait to see it. Okay. So yeah. All right. Um, and then we had the the Green with Envy trailer. Did you see this before the cat was out of the bag? What it was. No. Okay, so you already knew what you were getting into by the time you saw it. Where have you seen it? The trailer? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, was, I was, I don't know. I, uh, uh, it looks good. I think it looks, I, I'm obviously the cat's out of the bag. This is a trailer for the new Muppets movie along with the uh, Fuzz Pack trailer. And it looks like it's going to be a fun Muppets movie. That's really all you can really want out of the Muppets. I don't know. I, I think there might be a hidden element. Like I think might someone in this might be uh, dying of something, and they're just trying to hide it in the trailer. Could be. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Gonzo has nose cancer. That would suck. It would. It so would. Um, why don't you go ahead, sir? Because my last trailer kind of sucks. I think I, I made the cancer thing to segue into another trailer. Really. <laughs> okay. But uh, the trailer for. Uh, the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt starring Jonathan Levine directed uh, cancer comedy. What'd you think? Fifty-fifty. Uh, Seth Rogen wrote this too. Uh, the, now that we know what it is, it's it looks promising. I'm not gonna lie. I know I'm not a Seth Rogen fan, but it it looks promising. I'll definitely give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. I I, I uh, actually think the drama element of the movie looks a bit better than the comedy element. Yeah, it looks like there's going to be a, a good balance. Uh, it didn't go over so well with funny people, but I don't know. Do you think it's, we're going to have the same effect with this movie, possibly? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if this cost like half of what funny people did. So That's fair. It'll be be okay if it doesn't make as much money. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I, it looks funny. Like The whole gag about using the cancer line to pick up chicks, I thought was great. Yeah. Well, so though it's fu- it's funny. I never, I never like. You never saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt at any like events or anything bald. It's like I had no idea he shaved his head for this movie. 
Yeah, yeah. He may have just stayed, stepped out of the limelight for a little bit, let it grow back, and then went back to doing his thing. Who knows? But can anyone really step out of the limelight, Dave? Wow. I, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, next there was the uh, trailer for the new Alexander Payne film, The Descendants. This looks good because it's such a twist on the whole, oh my gosh, my, my I lost my spouse movie. And yeah, that, yeah. And, that's what draws me in. And I'm just I'm just excited. Again, it's a new Alexander Payne movie. I can't believe it's been seven years since his last one. Man, what was his last movie? Sideways. Oh, that's right. Okay. Wow. Dang. Yeah, this this looks like it's, again, it's going to be a, a good drama that has funny moments in it. But it's such a twist on the whole losing a spouse story that I think that's really going to take this film into interesting places. And I think Clooney's up to the task, just from what we saw in the trailer. Yeah, it actually doesn't look that like kind of George Clooney-ish, if you ask me. Yeah, he's not doing the goofball George Clooney. He, he's actually or the suave. To... True, the 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 Danny yeah. Ocean George Clooney. Yeah, yeah, or even even like to an extent like Michael Clayton or a guy he played in uh, Up in the Air. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, this looks much more grounded, and I I that one I'm really looking forward to seeing. And again, Robert Forster punching out a kid is pretty awesome. Yes, especially since he was such an idiot of a kid. You can already tell in the trailer. It was a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Cool. Uh, my 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 final story is that uh, David O. Russell will no longer be directing Uncharted. I know the video game fanboys are all happy about it because apparently he was taking all kinds of liberties with it. Um, are you happy just because he's going to get back to doing other stuff that's probably going to fit him better? Yes, I just uh, I just imagine like he got his, but what happened was that he was doing this because like okay this is a safe bet. Then he got like nominated for a Oscar and he's like, yeah, I don't need to do this anymore. And I think this is kind of a thing where everyone's kind of agreed this wasn't the best idea in the first place. Yeah, like I mean I'm sure it would have been good because I love David O. Russell, but yeah. again he, there's just better things he can do. It's like Aronofsky and uh, Wolverine. Fair enough. Yeah. I, okay. Okay. I can. I can see your point. I. I, I will. I see your point for sure. Um, my last bit of news. Oh, this is so awful. Um, I don't know who asked for this, but for some reason, effing Happy Feet is getting a sequel, and the trailer has hit. H- have you watched this abomination? No, I have not. It's just gonna be. Now, granted, honestly, the trailer itself doesn't look that bad, but I'm just wondering, you know, when we're gonna get the the UN debates again about the environment. Mm, I, I haven't seen the original, so I can't really uh, comment. You're not really missing anything, I gotta say. Yeah, I think that was that was one of the most manipulative kids movies I've ever seen in my life, and uh, there's there was no explaining or defense of what that movie did, and I'm sure that the second one's gonna find a way to do it too. But don't in the original, don't they like the penguins like sing Prince songs and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. In this one, they sing. Oh shoot, they they, they do a version of "Sexy Back" and a couple other songs too. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'll give it a look. Maybe. You have my condolences if you do. All right. Well, shall we take a quick break and then come back and talk about our topic? Sure. Cool. All right. We will be right back to talk about the films of David Gordon Green. 
Sue Ellen Greenblatt is a real person, not an internet celebrity. So we've enlisted Billy Flynn and the vicar to help her tell her story. Geek Radio Daily gives me geeky news about movies, new DVD releases, even comics and gaming. Geek Radio Daily makes me feel special. Ah, yeah. Womanly. Yeah. Uh... Okay, so the episodes are just 15 minutes, perfect for my commute, or for just geeking out while I'm at the office. Mm. All in one concise love package. Ooh, the package, baby. Uh-huh. And the best part is that it's a daily cast, so I'm always in the loop. Sometimes I listen to it out of the bath, put on little outfits. Ah! It makes me want to invite all my friends over to show how refreshed I feel. Mm, a slumber party, baby. What? That's not what I said. Get out the chocolate mousse. Duct tape. Oh, get out of here, you freaks. Geek Radio Daily. One 15-minute podcast provides 15% of the USDA-recommended daily allowance of geeky goodness. Subscribe through iTunes or visit geekradiodaily.com. And we are back. This week we are talking about the films of David Gordon Green. Ethan, you really came up with this idea, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the man we're going to be speaking of. Well, uh, the year is 1993, I guess, and it's the North Carolina School of the Arts, and in the film production class is David Gordon Green, Jody Hill, Danny McBride, and I'm pretty sure Paul Schneider. And uh, these, these four young North Carolina gentlemen, they all have a passion for film, and Years later, they will all collaborate in some way or another to make some very good films. The first of which is 2000's George Washington. Debuting at the uh, Sundance Film Festival, it caused quite a stir, drawing comparisons to the works of Terrence Malick and many other American auteurs of the 1970s. Dave, what did you think of this film? I think the Terrence Malick thing is incredibly apropos, especially through... pretty much all the movies I watched this week. Uh, it, it's interesting to see someone take that kind of, th- the, the kind of theme where you really take your time to let the shots develop, let let things linger upon subjects. And instead of keeping it mostly with, you know, with, with you know, whether it be Japan in the Thin Red Line or, you know, Virginia in the New World or wherever like that, putting it in an urban setting, I think gives a very different effect, even though it's the same exact technique. The movie is a little raw just because it's obvious the kids aren't really actors. But mm-hmm. I think that really plays in the film's favor overall. Um, yeah, I think, and this is uh, evident through most of his films, but yeah. the film is very much grounded in naturalism. Even though they are very stylized, the performances are very natural, the dialogue's very natural. And uh, I guess I guess we should actually mention what this movie is about. For uh, yes. I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen it. Um it's uh, set in a very small town in North Carolina, and it concerns a group of kids. And uh, I don't know if we want to get specifically in what happens with them, but we can say uh, that something ha- something something tragic happens. I think that's worth saying. Yes, and then uh, and also they interact with a group of um, what did they work at? It was like uh, was it like a mill or it was some kind of a mill. I'm not sure what kind. Yeah, and they interact with them, and it's about also their parents too. And uh, one of the th- key themes of this film, evidence in the beginning, is one of the, uh, the characters is just being his his girlfriend dumps him, and they have this like painfully natural young conversation about uh, about young romance. And uh, yeah, this film is just it's about being a child and also concerns about being a hero. 
mm-hmm. and what that means and uh what it truly I means think, uh, yeah and a thing i love about this movie too is i feel like it could take place in basically any time period from the 70s on mm-hmm. like there's not really that much there's nothing that specific to now like to a con- really contemporary setting and uh it just and again it's not like because like say this were a 70 this is let's say this is set in the 70s probably another filmmaker would have them like talking about star wars and uh other stuff like that but since you know again it's timeless these kids they're not really influenced by pop culture and television and media they they really more have each other in this this rural setting that it makes it timeless really yeah it it works it works in very universal themes uh dealing with adults dealing with hiding things from adults that whole scene with his uncle near the end was took a character who you think is just kind of a jerk and just evil and wrong and mean and really puts a face on him and, and gives you a, a way to empathize with him within about 30 seconds. And that was a, a great turn, I thought. And I uh, just wanted to point out the performance in this film by uh, Paul Schneider as Rico Rice. Yes. One of the uh, young uh, mill workers. He is so funny in this movie, I find. Oh, when he was directing Traffic, I just about lost it. Yeah, he like he, he reminds me if like you took John C. Riley and Paul Rudd and just combined them. <laughs> it's basically what you'd get. Totally. That's totally him. That that's that's a good comparison, sir. Yeah, and uh there's many just like just so many just like natural scenes in this movie that are so funny, like uh one when they're like he's talking about he's feeding the dog gummy bears. <laughs> Sometimes just... it's maple syrup on a bagel. Yeah, exactly. And uh Again, this movie it, it deals with like painful things of childhood, but it's also, and again, there's a very tragic event in it. But in the end, it is very powerful and very, I think, life affirming and in a very natural way, and not a heavy-handed one. I find. Yeah, that's the thing is that this is probably one of the most hands-off debuts I've seen from a director, like a full-length feature. I know he's done a couple of shorts before this, but just how hands-off he was with the, with the actors and let them go where they felt like they needed to go, really lended an aspect of reality to the film. Yes, and I think the movie just, I think the movie's direction, it just, for a first-time film, it feels so confident and assured. Absolutely. It just, just, it feels like, you know, when you watch Badlands and you just see Malick's styles just right there, you feel it with this too, I find. Yeah, and, and this film really required the confidence. If there was any kind of insecurity, I think this film would have been a lot worse. Exactly, and, uh, also, thanks has to be given to his regular cinematographer, uh, Tim Orr, who crafts many beautiful images. And uh, also, I, we should note, since uh, this group of guys there from North Carolina, obviously this oh, it's being set there too, it, it, adds, it lends a certain amount of, even though I've never been there, kind of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, like, the characters all speak kind of like, you know, thick southern accents and they use slang, but it's, they're never caricatures or they're never, it's never a joke about being southern. Yeah, yeah, and that, again, that helps with that. That brings it back to the, one of the upsides of bringing someone who isn't really an actor; they're just being them. Exactly, and I think this film it pays homage to Terrence Malick. Obviously, I think it also pays homage to uh, the film *Killer of Sheep*, a nineteen seventies uh, film about an impoverished black family. And because uh, there's this scene in *Killer of Sheep*, it's a famous image from the film where um, a kid is wearing a Halloween mask of a dog. And in this movie, there, there's a key scene where a, a kid character wears a Halloween mask of, like, a dinosaur. Yeah. 
So I, I think that was like a definite homage to that because they do have somewhat similar subject matter. So yeah, I I absolutely love this film, and I think I think it is. I don't again. I, I'm hesitant about using the M word ever, but I mm-hmm. do think this is his masterpiece. Really, I okay. I think I think it's a film that we're going to be talking about a little later. It, it's not an easy film, but um, it's it's yeah. I'm sure you know which one I'm going to be talking about. Alrighty, well. Coming next, his next film, debuting at the Sundance Film Festival in 2003, was All the Real Girls. This time, instead of uh, just a hot, well, hot off the success, really, of George Washington, he was able to call in a few people from outside his kind of North Carolina crew, including uh, Zoe Deschanel, Patricia Clarkson, Shay Wiggum, but also keeping some of the regulars like uh, Paul Schneider from George Washington, mm-hmm. and also introducing another one of his film school friends, uh, Danny McBride as Bustass. Yeah, wow, he he was good in it too. He is he is truly hilarious in it. Yeah, not in not in like a you know kind of like not in a Tropic Thunder kind of just way out there Broadway, but it's 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 he plays but just the in like well. a funny friend you have kind of way. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I guess we should, again, we should talk what this film's about. Um, Paul Schneider, he plays kind of the town Romeo in this kind of small mill town in North Carolina. And he's basically, he's he's had his way around with basically all the calmly He's the town womanizer. That's what he is. Well, on the back of the DVD, it calls him the town Romeo. So oh, okay. I just, Fair enough. But but anyway, he's uh, basically, he's, he's, uh, He's been around the ladies, we can say so, right? Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden, his uh, best friend, played by Shea Wiggum, his uh, younger sister comes to town, and uh, they kind of fall in love. And for him, it's a very, it's a very traumatic experience for him because he's never really felt love before, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And for her, it's she's this is her real first encounter of love. So she, they're both very awkward. And that's the thing about this movie is I love it, but I can admit that how awkward it is, <laughs> yeah. it might be off-putting to a lot of people. Yeah, I I can totally see that. I think it's a good movie. It's probably. Uh, of this time period and this style of film he was making, it's probably my least favorite of the three that I saw. But it's still a good movie. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think again, I, I think it, it just it's it's not as good as George Washington. It has some flaws, but I think yeah. again, it's incredibly assured, and I think the imagery in it is beautiful. And it again, I say how awkward it is, but I think it is so dedicated to that. Yeah, it's not just it doesn't treat it as a joke and. Um, there's some like just some very striking images in this movie, like um, the clown the clown scene in the hospital. <laughs> yes. And uh, there's a scene too after a key event happens, where it's kind of showing time elapsing, and I found that sequence very powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, it was Zoe Deschanel in this. This is before kind of this is probably when she was best known for being uh, the girlfriend in Jimmy Fallon's idiot boyfriend video. Kind of before she was Zoe Deschanel. There you go. And I, th- I, and I think she's great in this. This is again before she she became self aware of who she is, and she's very she fits in with the film's awkwardness and naturalism very well. I find she absolutely did. What one of the things you talk about the awkwardness? It's tough, but I think it's very necessary because when a certain huge event happens in the film, Paul Schneider's reaction is exactly the kind of thing that, that anyone would have, even if it's completely the wrong reaction. 
and exactly. it, doesn't, it doesn't shy away from it at all, which I really, you know, I, it's, it's cringe inducing, but it's, it's honest and it needed to be there. And I appreciated that. And uh, some of the things like with this film, there's a uh, Down's a, car- kid, a child character with Down syndrome. Yeah, it isn't. It's not patronizing at all. No, not even a little bit. I love that about it. And uh, I should mention, I think where this film does become flawed, though, is I think the last twenty to thirty minutes. I think it after the key event happens, I think it drags a little. To be honest, <laughs> it does. It it absolutely does. Like I think there's a scene where kind of they confront each other. And it's it's good, but it's and I'm saying this is uh, near the end, not yeah. when the key event happens. But it, it's good. It's a good scene, but it just it feels like it's sort of the film is treading water a bit at that point. Yeah. But again, I, I think this film's very powerful, and I think it's very, I think it's very sweet too. And it, it, the ending, I find kind of optimistic. And uh, I, I guess I should mention about this film that I uh, something funny about it is I. I last year I I found it I wanted to see it again because I'd seen it a long time ago and I'd been looking for it for a while and I when, it, when living in Montreal last year I found a copy in HMV and I bought it and I lent it to a friend and basically it's funny the DVD seemed to like kind of pass around my residence <laughs> like everyone had now seen it like he was giving it to another person and you give it to another person and everyone would come up to me and talk about it mm-hmm. well that was just kind of neat yeah, it's, it's cool yeah, you can find I, a movie I, like I, that that just connects with people. Yeah, I, I really, I love this film. The funny thing is, I guess, saying that, though, a lot of the people who t- talked to me about it mentioned they hated it, so. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's something I need to ever revisit, frankly, but I, I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, and uh, again, I just think it's, uh, again, not as quite as good as George Washington, but again, just another, it, it really shows him, his talent and his voice, even if his voice isn't like a hundred percent refined in ways, I guess. Yeah, not quite yet, at least. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next is in two thousand four is Undertow, which I did not get to see. That's the one I didn't get a chance to see. It's uh, been quite a while since I've seen this, but I'll, I'll off off memory, I'll I'll try to talk about this. Well, this uh, you know drawing all the comparisons of Terrence Malick. This was, uh, this film was actually produced by Terrence Malick. Really? And, uh, yeah. And I think they became, they, yeah, you know, I'm not quite sure how, uh, that happened. I maybe I'm guessing, uh, Malick saw his films, admired him and called him up and said, you know, let's get dinner sometime or something. Mm-hmm. Go to Baskin Robbins. Totally. There you go. Yes. Go, ro- go roller skating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, this is also like uh, all the real girls was kind of incorporating more outside uh, people outside of sort of his uh, circle of North Carolina friends. This uh, has a score by Philip Glass. Um, it stars Jamie Bell from uh, Billy Elliot. Even a very British actor is a very Southern boy. Hmm. Uh, it also has uh, Kristen Stewart in it. A very young Kristen Stewart. <laughs> I saw that on there. Is it, is it vintage quite- Kristen Stewart? Yeah, she's pretty good in it, I think, and uh, also features Josh Lucas, who's in many Hollywood films. And uh, I'm trying to remember what I thought of this movie. I, I remember liking it. Um, I think the thing I best remember about it is a scene in which um, Jamie Bell's like uh, he steps on a nail, and uh-huh. uh, it's it's kind of painful to watch. Yeah. And I think I think I read that he actually did step on a nail in real life. 
I've done that, and that that is the going in. It doesn't hurt. It's it's pulling it out. That's just you want to die. Yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a good movie from what I can remember. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, next in t- two thousand seven, premiering at Sundance was uh, Snow Angels. This uh, was a bit of a departure for him because, well, one, it wasn't uh, an original idea by him. It was based on a novel. And it's not set in the South. It's it's set in the Midwest, I believe. I believe so. Yes. During the winter, so it, it has a very you know the snow snowy atmosphere, very different from his other films. But like his other films, it has it's very natural and very it's dealing just with people and emotions. And um, Dave, why don't it's a little fresher in your mind? Why don't you talk about it? Okay. And what, what it's about? What it's what it's about even. Oh my goodness, this film, it follows a couple different storylines, and a lot of it has to do with broken families, which is kind of an interesting theme through the film. Uh, The film is pretty much anchored about uh, Kate Bickensdale and Sam Rockwell's marriage being on the rocks. For whatever reason, um, Kate ends up doing bad things while they're still separated. I don't know, it depends on your definition of how things go when you're separated, I guess. Uh, Then you've got Michael, oh shoot, Angarano, is that right? I believe that's his name. He is kind of, he, he's almost like the the person who's watching this whole film unfold. You see most of the film, I think, from his his viewpoint and his eyes. And his family's falling apart, too. He meets a new girl. He's got a thing for Kate Beckinsdale, too, because she used to babysit him. And the film really takes some, goes to some very dark places. But I think it's still a wonderful film. I think this is probably my favorite that he's done. Yeah, it's I again. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think it's yeah, it's an incredibly powerful film. There's no doubt about it. And um, again, like the whole like Sam Rockwell's character in this, how is how awkward he is. Kind of, it totally fits in with his other films. It does. And uh, Amy Sedaris was I, I great think, in it. I thought maybe you kind of you know small town lady. Yeah, totally. And she feels and she's great in it. And uh, I think I guess the thing about this movie, it feels a little more schematic than his other films. Like it's you know clearly and how it's contrasting these two stories and how it's it's a little more it's definitely more structured. But I, yes. I think again his naturalness in it is it shines through. Yeah, the the way that he got the shots like of of I mean basically the only way to put it put a, you know call it like a frozen tundra was very you know very in the spirit of Terrence Malick too. I thought. Yes. Like, the use of nature was just wonderful throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this, I don't know, Do you? Here, here's, here's my real question for you. The other films you can make an argument are life-affirming. Do you think this one was? Well, again, in terms of there's that contrast, and you show uh, kind of the love blossoming between two people. Though I guess, in a way, you can say, well, this other story is showing how eventually that will become this. So, yeah. I guess that kind of... But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I don't it's know, life-affirming Dave. from Michael, uh, for, from Artie's standpoint, the character of Artie, played by Michael Angarano. Uh, I think the rest of it is pretty much a downer, but I think it's it's not manipulatively depressing. I think it's just that's where the story went, and it feels very natural again. And, you know, while you don't like to see that kind of stuff happen, I mean, that ending was pretty messed up, but it was incredibly well executed, I thought. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on? Or sure. Do you have more to say? No, no, no. That, that that's that's good enough for me. I really, 
I don't, I, saying I liked it may not be the right way to put it, but I really, I really admired it. And I'm that one. I'm that one. I may end up picking up actually. Well, that's good. Well, now things get interesting here in 2008. He uh, directed pineapple express, a Judd Apatow produced Seth Rogen starring comedy. Okay. So before you go, (laughs) I have to ask you because this is the most significant departure. I mean, like one of these is not like the others right now. Was there some kind some kind of thing that pushed him into going into this comedy the, the comedic direction? Well, apparently he he like we were talking about Malik is a big fan of Zoolander last week. <laughs> yes. Apparently, well, David Gordon Green is like he is a big fan of like comedy and and uh, and the thing is there's a lot of things in his movies that are very funny. I find. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think it's just he wanted to maybe you know because often auteurs they get criticized for just doing the same thing over and over again. And becoming kind of a parody of themselves. Okay. I think with this, he was just like, you know, maybe I can just do something a little different. And he said, you know, send me the best comedy scripts uh, you can find to his agent, I believe. And the thing is, too, uh, Danny McBride is in this, who's, you know, one of his his crew, but also has the Judd Apatow connection. Yes. So I think he was the highlight of the film for me. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's how he got his hands on this. And, uh, I think the thing about this that I like, though, is that it still feels like a David Gordon Green movie. Like, it, it totally, visually, it looks like, like a ton like his movies. Just some of the uh, slow zooms, the quirky details, like the scene where uh, James Franco is eating the burger and crying, and it, it cuts to, like, this little fat girl watching him is totally <laughs> David Gordon Green. Okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a great, it's a great example of something like I was talking about time about it, someone kind of grafting their style onto a mainstream film, but not, you know, taking away from the movie and just being, feeling very much a natural part of it. But also there's some other interesting things in this movie that I think separated aside from its cinematography, but kind of the use of violence in it. Okay. Like the movie is very violent and I, oh, it, yeah. it feels real. Like it's not a joke when Seth Rogen gets his ear shot off. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of times when you're doing a comedy, even like uh, it, this is this, you could qualify this as an action comedy. And in action comedy, something like that happens, and and it gets played off as a joke. And this movie doesn't do that. Yeah, and I think that's just part of his naturalism and whatnot. And I think, I think a part of like just what makes this look so much better than most Judd Apatow comedies is those those movies are very centric on uh, improvisation, right? And to do that, you you use a lot of coverage. And that kind of ends up kind of making the movie not feel as visually fluid. And obviously in this, I'm willing to bet there was a ton of improv because, improv, you know, it's Seth Rogen and James Franco and Danny McBride. So there has to be. But uh, at the same time, he, he seemed to have found a way to make it look nice. So props to him for that. Okay. And I know you're not a big fan of this movie, so maybe you can... Uh... I'm not, but here, here's the thing. I really admire the man's work overall, so I'm not going to take a dump on this movie. I've done it in the past. I'm good with it. So, I mean, I'm, all, I'm more about talking about how the film is more distinct. And you're bringing up very interesting points. I may revisit it at some point. You should. I mean, I've only actually seen it the one time, and I wanted to get to it again, but I, I just didn't. But I think it is, like, I think it is the most, dis- of the Judd Apatow-produced films, I think it is the most distinct that's fair. So, and uh, just earlier, a, f- a month ago or so, he uh, brought us again, keeping in line with the uh, comedy theme. He brought us Your Highness, a stoner fantasy medieval comedy, reuniting him with uh, Danny McBride and James Franco and Zoe Deschanel. Yes. And I was the only person on the so- show who saw it. Yes. And I was one of the only people in the world who enjoyed it. 
When it comes out on DVD, I will I will rent it. I've got it saved okay. saved in the queue, so when it does come out, I will see it. Okay, maybe what like get a watch it a little tipsy or whatnot, just to. <laughs> okay, it's not intended to for for the straight laced crowd. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Like I I remember saying this before, but when I saw in the theater, there was probably ten other people there, and me and one other guy were both laughing throughout the entire film. Other than that, crickets. Okay. That's the thing about this movie. A lot of people have criticized him for you know moving away from his original art house roots, but I think in a way this like this is what he wants to do. You know, like making a movie this weird, he will probably only have a chance to ever do this like once. So yeah. why not do it now? He can always go back to the other thing. While you've got the success, you 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 that's when you find the time to experiment and branch out and see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and obviously uh, for most people this didn't work, but you know what? He'll move on. He he has another uh, comedy coming out later this year called The Sitter with Jonah Hill. And I have a feeling I have a feeling that'll be a lot better received. Okay. Well, and that's the thing. He he he's made he's planted his roots and and he, you know, built everything based off of these dramas. It makes sense that it'd take a little while to to really nail down the comedy side of things cuz comedy isn't easy to pull off. And I should mention too, he's also directed episodes of uh, Eastbound and Down, which I have not show. seen. Yeah, but uh, well, you know, created by his North Carolina film school buddies Jody Hill and Danny McBride. And uh, again, those are very visual. His visuals in that are very strong. I, I find he he finds humor in a way. It's like it's broad humor, but it's not. He doesn't like play it broadly. It's kind of hard to describe. It's like he just he doesn't kind of beg for the joke. I find okay. And um, I guess we should also, there's some other things to mention about him, like uh, after George Washington came out in an interview, he famously was, he was talking about uh, independent film and he famously said that uh, Kevin Smith created a special Olympics for film. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because of clerks. Yeah. He says like just making like movies that are not amb- independent films that are not ambitious in any way, I think is sort of how he was saying. Okay, I think that Smith eventually did become ambitious. I think you can you can make the argument that he went back to not being ambitious, and then from everything I'm hearing about Red State, he got back to being ambitious. But I can see it. He 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 wants to he he's making the argument more to to reward those who are taking the sh- chance right out the gate. Exactly, and um, I'm trying to think of a way to conclude this. Well, I think well let's talk about that for a minute. Though I think you can make the you can make the argument that Clerks is something that's a little bit out there and a little bit different because it is, it's guys hanging out and talking in a convenience store for almost the entire movie, which you don't see as much. I think, though, in a way, I think maybe what he's criticizing is how that influenced other people in a way. Like, that's that's like, that's just what is independent film. That Now, that's a very valid argument because for the longest time it was, look, the Clerks guy can do it, I can do it. And then you, we there was a rash, especially through the 90s, of really crappy independent cinema. Exactly, and uh, you know him making a film like George Washington for like no money, but looks beautiful and is is very profound and resonant. You know, I think that that like that is saying maybe he's being a little arrogant, but he's saying you know that is that is a debut, that is a voice. I think you can make that argument. Absolutely, yeah. There, oh man, you know it's hard because there's still a lot of bad independent cinema out there. That the the downside of of, of HD cameras and every and real production equipment becoming consumer grade prices is that everyone it's the same thing as podcasting. The upside is anyone who's got a mic and, and can spend fifteen bucks building a website can have a podcast. 
The downside is the exact same thing. I like to think of us as the David Gordon Green of podcasts. All right, then. I, I can handle that. I can handle that. So being that you just previously thought of him as the Pineapple Express guy, you're glad you uh, saw these films? Oh, yeah. I respect the guy worlds more now. I think it's absolutely worth your time to check out George Washington. It's pretty much a must-see, which is on you know put out by Criterion, which tells you something, too. Um, it, it's a little raw, absolutely, but I think that was by design. And I think, you know, all the real girls and, uh, and, and snow angels are both very well worth checking out too. Yes. So again, if you, if you just thought of him as a pineapple express guy, check out his other stuff, even though I love his, even though I love his comedy, there's definitely much more to him. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fair enough for sure. Yeah. So um, next week, we're, we're still working out what we're going to talk about. Um, I think we've got it nailed down, but we'll, we're going to consult with Barry when he gets back, too. I'm sure he'll be down. Um, but, oh, crap. I guess it'd help if I had the list of what's coming out in theaters this Friday, huh? Hmm? Details. Sorry, oh, I guess it would help if I actually had the list of what's coming out this week. Um, that would help. Wow, it's a really long list, too. We've got X-Men First Class coming out, which I get to see Tuesday morning, and uh, Submarine is releasing a limited release, which Jack adored. I've talked to other people who have seen it. They really dug it, too, so I'm, I can't wait for it to come to Denver so I can try to check it out, too. All righty. Sweet. All right, DVD releases we have got coming up uh, next week. We have got the Superman Motion Picture Anthology. If you've already got the DVD version of this set with the, in, the, in the silver tin and the 14 discs, this is the same thing but just in HD. Uh, we've also got True Grit, the 2010 uh, remake, coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Have you seen the cover art for this thing? Isn't it just the same as the poster art? No, it's like them just kind of hanging out, standing next to each other. Yeah, that was the poster. Oh, okay. Huh, I thought I saw a different poster. Well, I think there was a few of them, but... Okay, I did, I hadn't seen this poster. I'm not a big fan of the art, but oh well. Uh, Burn Notice Season 4 comes out. Just go with it. That movie that was highly critically acclaimed and we all can't wait to ignore completely is coming out. Uh, the Company Men is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Green Lantern, Emerald Knights in preparation for the DC... Warner Brothers film is coming out, which I've been reading some reviews. It's supposed to be great. I'll hopefully have a review by the time that comes out. And then Leverage Season 3 will be coming out, which is my favorite heist, fun popcorn TV show. So uh, I guess that's about it. We kind of cranked through this episode, sir. How long was it? We are at just under an hour. Gotta, we got to get to that hour point. Oh, let's, <sighs> talk, let's, let's talk about something. I don't know what to talk about. Go to go to slash film or something. See if there's a new story. Oh Lord have mercy. Okay, I will I will go. Hang on here. Oh, do, 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 do. come on. Let's see what what really stupid stories we can come up with. While their top story is still the Dra- girls dragon tattoo trailer. Um, I'm trying to find. Something. Oh, all right. You know what? In in keeping with the David Gordon Green thing, there's a casting bits thing uh, where Paul, Paul Schneider is going to be in Baby Makers. Is I read that. Is that like a Broken Lizard thing? Yes, it is. Interesting choice. <laughs> it is. That's a very yeah. That's one way to look at it. I don't know if I'm looking forward to it or not, but okay. I met, I should mention I read an interview with uh, Paul Schneider. He did on uh, the AV Club, and he seems like honestly one of the coolest actors in Hollywood right now. Fair enough. Like, um, he was just talking about basically kind of the point he's at. Like, he's um, he's like, you know, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm a character actor, but you know what? I still have it off, like, really well. Like, I, 
I've got a lot of stuff. I own a lot of Criterion DVDs. Like I said, when I got cast in Parks and Recreation, I went and bought $100 worth of band t-shirts. <laughs> so he's enjoying life. Yeah, he's like, you know, I could, like, maybe I could be a big star, but I, I really don't need to be. Like, I'm, he's, he just seems grateful, and he has, like, a lot of, he has good tastes, and yeah, he seems like a cool guy. Here it is. Here's the news of the week, sir. We're getting Yogi Bear 2. Was Yogi Bear 1 really that su- successful? I guess it made $100 million at the box office, and that was good enough. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. You know, let's not stretch this out anymore. We're 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 spinning our wheels. We'll be close. We'll be very close to that hour mark. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. You can email us at podcast Dave, Ethan, or Barry, all at screengeeks.com. Um did I say podcast too? No, I didn't. Podcast at screengeeks.com will get to all of us, actually. Um wait a minute. You know, we have we have email. Hang on, let me go find that. I'll be right back. We'll, we'll let's let's read this thing. Okay, here it is. Uh, let's see here. Hey guys, I thought I'd let you know about a new movie that was just released this last week. The Tunnel is a new Australian movie that has had a few new ideas on funding and distribution of movies. The movie is partially funded by what the filmmakers called the 135K project. In a 90-minute movie, there's 135,000 frames, which they sold for a dollar a frame. Although they never actually sold all the frames, they are still selling frames after the movie's release. The distribution of the movie was intended to be released as a free legal download via BitTorrent. They have also released the film for sale on DVD. It has been played. It has been played on opening day on pay TV in Australia, and is going to have a, th- a theatrical release as well in coming weeks. The movie is based on an actual news story in Australia about the government planning to build a water recycling plant in the tunnels under Sydney, but suddenly, but quietly, dropped the idea. Sorry, a reporter and crew go down to investigate this and missing homeless and find something else. I've watched the movie twice so far, and it's actually quite good. I thought I'd let you guys know if you would like to see it, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. From Greg Tyrell, I'm going to say. Uh, the website you can get it is at uh, www.thetunnelmovie.net. Or if you want to download it via torrent, which this is a legal torrent, which is very interesting. Uh, you can go to vodo, vodo.net slash the tunnel. Uh, I'm going to download it this week and check it out and see how it is. But this is an interesting distribution model. It sure is. Going, essentially saying, hey, here, take our movie for free. That's going to build, I think, a lot of buzz. And I'm, I'm guessing they're doing this, hopefully, A, to get international distribution, and then B, to, to get a name made for themselves to get financing easier for the next film, if it's good. Mm. So I'll check it out. Hopefully it's awesome. I will report back next week. Um, I guess that's about it. Also, oh, I guess it'll help if I gave you the voicemail number. If you want to give us a call, leave us a voicemail. By all means, do. Our number is 719-358-2675. Uh, Barry should be back next week. We'll be talking, well, let's just say, yeah, we're going to talk X-Men movies probably. Uh, revisit the series, see where it went with his latest film, and kind of see where it's going to go and if it's worth keeping around. But until then, this is Dave. This is Ethan. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>